Hey Queens, uh, just wanted to add a little preface to this episode. Uh, we discovered in the editing process uh, that there is a scratching, clicking noise uh, that occurs when Joey speaks. So um, we weren't able to get rid of it without um, altering some other area of the sound. Uh, so unfortunately we will just uh, have to live with it. And I just wanted to give you a little heads up so you weren't um, confused uh, by the sound quality. So with uh, without further ado, here is the class of 2010. Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it that it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome back to the season premiere Season five of Academy Queens. I need your advice like I need a dick in my ass. I do. Joey Gentilly. And having balls is a good thing. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And we are Academy Queens and Queens. You've noticed if you're on Patreon with us, something a little different today. Um, for those who aren't on Patreon, you can obviously hear us. And for those of you who aren't on Patreon, just know that we're coming to you live from of recording, like a face-to-face -face film recording in yes. a way. So patrons, hello, good morning. Yes, we are on camera, to quote Dan <laughs> I need to find the camera. Dude, it's not only are we on camera, as you said, but it is early as fuck. It is, well, it's early for me, it's 9 a.m. Well, same for me, we're in the same time zone. Well, yes, but I'm just saying, like, don't you usually get up at, like, 7? I feel like I always get, like, texts from you at, like, oh, 7 yeah. a.m. Yeah, I usually get up, like, like sometime between, like, 6 and 7. I've gotten used to getting up at that time because Seth gets up really early because he has to be at his plant by, like, 7. And mm -hmm. I'm a light sleeper, so I just kind of wake up when he wakes up. Oh, are you, like, one of those sleepers that, like, the dog will move in the bed and you'll just be, like, awake? Sometimes, yeah. Mm -mm. See, I am such a heavy sleeper. I slept through my one and only earthquake when I lived in LA. That's how big of a heavy sleeper I am. Mm. I would be awful. awake. I'd be awake Right, right. Uh, but no, I'm so excited that we're finally doing this because, first of all, I, we've talked about this only for about a season, but it feels like, you know, because we do all the recordings with the guests for the season beforehand, I feel like it's been a long time coming for this. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to do it and it's nice to see you. Yeah. And we haven't seen each other record since the 80s. I know. Dude, that was a year ago. Yeah, I moved here almost exactly a year ago now. Like, I got that Facebook yeah. memory a couple days ago. Yeah. Not well, you're missed, so it's nice to see you in person again doing mm -hmm. this. Um, but season five, dude, five. We, right. we, we're, we're here. We're, we're like... We're keeping it going. It's 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 kind of insane. Um, I'm really excited because it's the most recent decade. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, we, we're finally caught up. You know, we, we maybe more listeners who haven't seen the films, like whoever, whatever happened to Harry Kellerman or whatever the fuck that movie was. Like, so many people haven't seen right. that, and now we get to this decade, and it's like everyone's kind of seen everything. So it, it'll be really interesting to finally hear some 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 recent takes. You know. Yeah, we've been kind of talking about that, just you and I, since the beginning. So when we first started this, when we did the 70s, 
most casual moviegoers have only seen like the big movies from the 70s, like the Godfather films, Network, Rocky, a lot of the little yeah. one-off ones like Harry Kellerman and so and other ones like that, a lot of people hadn't seen. And now as we're getting into this current decade, or I guess technically it's now the previous decade, people have seen almost everything. So the conversation should be pretty uh, lively, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting and it's nerve-wracking in a way too. Um, because this season so far has a lot of twists and turns because like, like we, you know, as we know, or as everyone knows, we record out of order. Um, so I, this season is going to take people for a loop. It's taken me for a loop. It's taken you for a yeah. loop. So I am, I'm really excited. And, um, first of all, kudos to your background behind you, because unlike Betsy DeVos, you actually use a bookshelf for books. So right. yay for you. Yes, I have also read a book, unlike Betsy DeVos. <laughs> I've read a book. Good, good answer, good answer. Um, okay, so the first episode of the season, something that we've been doing, um, which is new for us this season, is, you know, we do the weekly, um, the game with the, uh, the listeners for the Queens. Um, and, you know, it's whoever we think or whoever they think we're going to pick and whoever, you know, wins won a really cool prize. But to add a little suspense to our recordings, because again, we don't know who we're going to pick, we're letting everyone know that we are also playing the game this year, or this season. Only we're not winning anything because we're doing the show. Um, so Brandon, who do you think I'm going to pick for lead and supporting? Um, I'm thinking Michelle Williams and Jackie Weaver. I almost said Nicole Kidman, but I'm leaning a little bit more toward Michelle Williams for some reason. All right. Um, I, I just I think Jackie Weaver is your shit this year. Um, I want to say Jackie Weaver. See, it, see, it seems a little too obvious to be Nicole or to, to be Natalie Portman. But I mean, honestly, any of these five ladies could do it for you. But I'm going to go with Annette Benning. Okay. I'm going to go Jackie Weaver, Annette Benning. Okay. I'm, I'm taking a risk. I'm taking a risk. I mean, well, this... it could be Michelle Williams, too. So Yeah. Well, this is a hard one because uh, I don't know about you, but I think this lead actress lineup is one of the best lineups of this decade. Like, honestly, yeah. any of them could have won and I would not be mad. Like, I think they're all pretty good in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually just tweeted last night on our account. I was like, because I've, I've always known who my number one was since this ceremony. It hasn't changed. But I was like, how the fuck do I rank these women and I would just like to say I, I mean I think I can speak for both of us off of this one this is going to be one of those years where it's not who we think did the worst we just had to put someone somewhere yeah you know what I mean it's like a 1950 um, all over again yes yes um yeah I just think this is good you know I will say for me though the way I ranked them is really how I view them while yes, they're not the worst, it's who I think, if like there was, if this was a preferential ballot for the lead actress, it's kind of like, you know what I mean? Am I making sense? Yeah. It's kind of like um, who I definitely would put at the bottom, but she's still not bad, but then sure. who I would put at number one being the best and my favorite. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So anyway, yeah. you have something to drink to, while, while, we get, while we get going? Yeah, I just have a little cup of coffee. It's right here in my little Star Trek mug. Pumpkin spice, babe. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Oh, speaking of coffee, really quick, I want to show you. I got this brand new because I just smashed a cup. I, I bought this French press and I got it and I looked at it. I'm like, 
this is a Brandon press. It's like this little mm-hmm. cute singular French press and it's like copper and piped and I'm like, oh, this is like totally Brandon's type of shit. Yeah, we have so, a little French press. It's like a ceramic nice. one though, it's not like glass. Mm. Well, without further ado, shall we? Okay. So your nominees for supporting actress in 2010 were... Amy Adams, The Fighter. Helena Bonham Carter, The King's Speech. Jackie Weaver, Animal Kingdom. Melissa Leo, The Fighter. Haley Steinfeld, True Grit. So uh, starting off with our winner, uh, Melissa Leo winning for The Fighter. This is her second of two nominations and so far her only win. Going into this, she is a bit of a front runner when it comes to the precursors because she takes the Golden Globe. SAG, Critics' Choice, and the New York Film Critics Circle. And she is recognized with the National Society of Film Critics and with the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. In The Fighter, Melissa Leo plays Alice Ward, the opinionated and in-your-face mother of Mickey and Dickie Ward, who manages their careers and thinks they are basically nothing without her. So how do you feel about Melissa Leo in The Fighter? So the thing about Melissa Leo here is that Melissa Leo isn't doing anything wrong. She's not bad in any means. It's just that I don't know what she's doing here to really garner a nomination, let alone a win. Um, You know, I I really, really went back because, again, this is the most recent decade. I really went back and kind of watched the ceremonies on who was winning what. And, you know, this was a steamroll year for Melissa Leo. Um, and I noticed that every, almost every body of voting block, like their ceremony had the same Melissa Leo clip. And it was that weird like kitchen confrontation where she's like, something, something, sweetheart. And she all, you know, it was always that sweetheart line or I'm his manager, sweetheart, or you owe me $200. Like it was like that scene. And it's just weird because first of all, like her Boston accent is going in and out. It's not like, it's never just one, one certain accent. It's like two different accents, her own accent and then Boston at the same time. Mm-hmm. So number one, that was weird to me that she got so far and won so many with just her voice work alone. But it's also too, it's just like, there's not a whole lot of meat for her to chew here. It's just mainly one note in the, in the realm of the character. And that's not Melissa Leo's fault. It's the writer's fault and the director's fault for really only giving her one way of, of delivering this character. And that was snot-nosed mom who just cares about money. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... It's odd to me. It, it's, it's definitely, like, her, her work in Frozen River is by far superior. Um, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I think this is one I'm just kind of, like, neutral on. What about you? Um, so I feel similarly. Um, I feel as though the reason that a lot of people hate on this win has less to do with the performance and more so the politics of it all. Because Melissa Leo was really going for it here. Like, that she too. really yeah. wanted this Oscar. 
and she was campaigning her ass off. And um, it really shows how you can win, not just on the merit of your performance, but also by how much you're showing that you want it. Um, now that said, I do think this is a good performance. Uh, Melissa Leo never lets you forget that she's in this movie. It's very loud, very in your face. Um, it's that crazy mother role that we see pop up in supporting actress all the time. And she does it really well. Um, she has a very chaotic and somewhat threatening presence in this movie. And um, I think she dominates a lot of the scenes that she's in. And I think that works given the nature of this character and the level of influence that she needs to have over her sons and to create this um, ultimate nemesis for the Amy Adams character, who, who we'll get to in a few minutes here. So um, I think she's doing pretty well here, um, but I think that her campaign uh, added to um, the tallies that ultimately resulted in her win. It wasn't just the performance. Well, funny you should mention that because we've got some questions regarding her campaign. And I know this one question is actually, you're going to love, you're going to love this one. Um, as I just lost it. First of all, for those who can see us, this was Melissa Leo's campaign, which was this ad that just said, consider. And she just like ran with it throughout the whole thing. And where, where and is that so published? Um, I believe this like was Vanity Fair. Okay. Have you not seen that? I've seen the image. I just couldn't remember who ran with it. If it was like Vanity Fair, Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Vanity Fair. So with that, the reason I have that is because Ronaldo Sosa asked us, what are your thoughts on Melissa Leo's campaign and this incredible ad? Um, I wouldn't call it incredible. I would just call it really like determined yeah um i mean melissa leo's oscar campaign for this was somewhat legendary in its own right it reminds me a lot mm -hmm. of um Al um don't, Anna. Say don't say sally kirkland well i mean it is very similar i mean they both really no, really wanted it um now melissa leo ended up triumphing over uh her competitors but um i think it goes to show that the oscars is seldom a true meritocracy there's the merit and then there's you know how many people can you convince to vote for you so yeah it's it's noteworthy um for what it was and for the fact that she was able to make it happen it's also somewhat funny that this was back to back with monique winning the year before by not yeah, campaigning right. at all and making yeah. a big thing about it in her speech. And then here, one year later, we have someone who won largely due to a campaign. And that's not to take away from the performance because I think she is giving a, rec a recognition-worthy performance, but there was definitely mm -hmm. a whole lot more to this win than just what we saw on screen. Yeah, I would agree with that. Although I hate, I hate the idea that it was compared to Sally Kirkland, especially because, you know, being such a Sally Kirkland stand for Anna, like, it just kills me that that one worked, like, Leo's worked and Sally's did not. Well, I mean, there's other examples, not just Sally. Like, there's Candy Clark. 
Penelope Milford, Margaret. Yeah, so, so Sally was just the first one that I thought of just because her, her campaign was so notorious. Um, yeah. but, you know, there's also a Margaret Avery, like there's a lot of actors who really, really wanted it and went for it. And Leo's one of them that actually ended up getting that statue for it. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, this is the question I was uh, going to say that I know you would love. Um, this is from how dare you. I can't shake the feeling that Melissa Leo's character in the fight, the fighter was written for Sharon Stone. I can totally see Miss Stone walking away with the film, plus she would have given a fierce performance. Thoughts? I would love to see that. I think she would do really well. Like I'm picturing those, yeah. that final sequence in Casino, like where she's losing it on the lawn, but for the entire yeah. movie of The Fighter. And I would really like to see that. I, you I look her, so I happy. <laughs> you look so happy. I bet she could have won for it too. Mm -hmm. This yeah. seems like a role that was like, there's a lot of juice to this role, um, especially if you're an actor who really goes for it and decides to chew when there isn't, to, when there doesn't even seem to be that much to chew on. Like it's that type of role where you can really go for it and create a presence that's unforgettable, that has people talking long after the movie's over. So um, even, if Melissa, Melissa Leo hadn't played this part, I could see a number of other actresses also getting into this Oscar race with this type of role. Sharon Stone also being one of them. I, I want to note too, I think this is like offhand of this decade. I think this is the one Oscar win from an actress in either category where the winner, well, yes, Melissa Leo essentially cashed in on this Oscar with like, cause she's constantly working. I think she's the really the only one who hasn't been like an A-lister since her win. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Melissa Leo's known yeah. in the indie circuit and she's known between like people like us, but like, right. excuse me. But like, if you go up to someone just on the street and you're like, who is Melissa Leo? They're gonna be like, who? You know what I mean? Like she's... I think she's the only one who didn't go to A-list after winning an Oscar this whole decade. Yeah, I think Melissa Leo is one of those actors who, for casual moviegoer, moviegoers, they see her in a movie and they go, oh, I know her. Uh, she was in that, that thing. Uh, what was that? Yep. But they don't know her name, yep. and they can't always think of what that thing was that they saw her in, but they know they've seen her because Melissa Leo has been in dozens of movies. But, um, yeah, she's not exactly a household name for casual moviegoers in the way that, they, that she would be with critics and whatnot. Yeah. Like, there could be 100 people in the room and only one of them knows Melissa Leo by name. And those other 99 are just looking for Lady Gaga at that point. Yeah. So um, that's it. That's on Melissa Leo, all the questions that we have right now. Okay. Well, um, we can transition into the other fighter nominee. That is Amy Adams, uh, nominated here also for The Fighter. Uh, this is her third of six nominations. Going into this, uh, she doesn't really win a whole lot, uh, but she does uh, get some recognition with the Boston film critics. And I thought that was interesting considering it's where the movie's set. And she's also nominated for the Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the National Society of Film Critics. In The Fighter, Amy Adams plays Charlene, a tough bartender who becomes girlfriend to Mickey Ward and um, then becomes the mortal enemy to his sisters and his mother, Alice, played by Leo. So how do you feel about Amy Adams in The Fighter? So this one's interesting, and I think this was also 
an interesting note that I'm going to bring up here is that if we all remember Amy Adams up until this point, you know, she was a prime example of essentially what Melissa Leo was after her win was that people like, even though she had June bug, she wasn't really a name until two years later when she did Enchanted. And then from Enchanted, she just, you know, with doubt. And then um, up until that point, I'm trying to think of what else she did. Um, she was known as kind of like the good girl of Hollywood. Like she was trying to like strip this image of her by taking the role of the fighter. Um, and it almost seems like she tried too hard. And not like in the fighter, I'm just saying like in her career choices up until that point. Mm -hmm. Because I remember this campaign being the, ooh, look, this is grown up Amy Adams. And then I remember seeing the fighter in theaters, because this was the first year that I saw everything in the theater. Um, I, like, I, I, I remember I was at Valley View like every week seeing this shit. And I remember just being like, okay, yeah, she's, she's good here. Now looking at it 10 years later and thinking back and like rewatching it, I'm like, okay, I could see what she's doing here because now I know her career over the last, you know, what is it, 15 years now? Holy shit, it's a June bug. 15 years. Um, so I could see the extra work she was putting into this and really appreciate it better. Um, I think she does really well here. I think this is one of her best nominations. I think Junebug is still her best. Um, you know, and of course we love the scene where she just beats the shit out of her, out of uh, Christian Bale's sisters there. I mean, this bitch goes hard. And then it's funny because I like watched it. God, I'm burping up a storm right now. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, and, you know, there's that, movie sound of like the punch like when you punch someone it doesn't make that sound and it's so funny because she's fighting this whole time and you just hear this comedic punch of her like just going ham um i think this is great i think this is a lot of fun you can tell she's having a lot of fun here and i think she kills it yeah i really like her in the fighter as well um amy adams is one of those actors who when she's in the right role really convinces you that who she's playing is a real person. Um, this doesn't feel like it's put on in any way for me. Um, I could see how in the time, the way that it might have been marketed or reviewed as the grown-up Amy Adams, people might have gone into it with that mindset, and it could have been, um, they could have been conditioned to look at it through that lens. But um, watching this movie removed from 2010, uh, it's a very believable performance and um, one that I find myself rooting for while watching the movie, while um, Alice and the sisters are being really mean to her for no reason and um, love the scene where she fights back on the porch and really beats the buck out of the one sister. Um, yep. It's a clip that you can watch over and over again and uh, it's a feel good scene. Not so much for the person getting beat up, but for everyone else watching. <laughs> Uh, she's really good here. She manages to um, hold her own and um, stands up to Melissa Leo without breaking a sweat. Melissa Leo is really, you know, giving it her all in this one, really over up to the extreme. And Amy Adams um, seems completely uh, unflinched by it all. Uh, she does really well here. And um, I really like watching her development in this film over time. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, it's better than just, you know, your average 
girlfriend yeah, boxer movie part. Uh, really, really quick. I heard you the entire time, but there are two points where you froze. I don't know if you were frozen on your end, but on my end you were, so I don't know what's gonna happen. You were frozen on my end, you were in like freeze frame. Oh, great. So we're both frozen at some point. Let's see, let's see, let's see who wins. But yeah, I heard you the entire time. So audio was there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, did you have anything else before I get to uh, Amy Adams questions? Uh, we can dive into the questions. Daniel Brilliant wants to know, was this the closest Amy Adams has come to winning her Oscar? I would say no. I would say probably the closest she's been was American Hustle, just because of the precursors. Yeah, I was thinking either American Hustle or maybe even June Bug and sort of a dark horse kind of win. June but, Bug too, yeah, because she did win some precursors on that. Yeah. The critics gave it to her. So I don't think this is the furthest she's ever been from winning, but I don't think it's the closest either. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think this was one where she kind of knew she was going to take the back seat because of Leo's like hardcore campaign. Yeah. So that's all we got on Amy Adams. Okay. Well, uh, next we have Helena Bonham Carter nominated for the King's Speech. This is her second of two nominations. Going into this, she wins with BAFTA and she's part of the SAG Ensemble win. Um, as a solo performer, she is nominated also at SAG and with the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice Awards. In the King's Speech, Helena Bonham Carter plays Queen Elizabeth, wife to King George VI, and she is determined to get her husband, um, who has a speech impediment, to speak well, knowing that the British Empire will not be able to fully unite in support of his, uh, his throne otherwise. So how do you feel about Helena Bonham Carter in the King's speech? So revisiting the King's speech, I, I realized how good this movie is. Like, acting wise like i've seen it before we all know that this year i mean looking back at it with the way tom hooper's career has gone plus um you know it's infamous this is you know the social network was this year for the for best picture and so it's infamous for winning over that and so it's gotten like this weird reputation because like the social network is still such a like the social network is the only film i can think of for the example of where i'm going here of where it's a classic upon arrival. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of anger with the King's Speech to this day. So going into this, like a review, because I haven't seen this in years, I was like, okay, Joe, you need to not really look at it as what happened, but just go in for the performances. And that's what I did. And I was like, this is actually really good. Like I, you know, I can see why the three nominees got nominated and, and Bonham Carter is brilliant here um she is so much fun for a movie that really isn't like the adjective i wouldn't use for it is fun um there's something you know i i would love to see bonham carter to be nominated for her quirky performances like what she's known for you know the the the, the red queen or uh what what was her name beatrix something in harry potter thank you um, Bellatrix or something like from Tim Burton, you know, something quirky that 
Bonham Carter is known for. Um, but I'll take any Bonham Carter nomination that I can get. And this here really, she, she brings, she brings a naturalism and almost peasant-like state to the queen. Because, you know, we see these movies about queens and the characters, and they're like, you know what I mean? Like very mm-hmm. poised, very up here. And it, I, I feel like the way Bonham Carter presents her is very you and me. Like she's just a normal person with normal problems, despite her ranking. And I just, I really appreciated that. I think she's, I like this better than the last nomination. I know you gave her the win for Wings of the Death, so I'm really interested to hear what you have to say here. But I, I, I gotta say like, this is probably my favorite of her two nominations. I think she's really goddamn good. Really good. I also think she's really good here in the King's Speech. Um, this is a nomination that I feel as though I frequently hear labeled as a coattail and I don't yeah. buy that. Um, I don't know if you've heard that as well, but I think she is quite good in this movie. Um, I do agree with what you were saying about, um, it's funny that she was nominated for these two very down-to-earth roles when she is so well-known, at least today, Mm -hmm. among the youth, for her very weird, out-there type of performances. So it'd be really cool if someday she's able to land a nomination for an out-there performance uh, to really sort of sum up her cultural influence as an actor. Uh, But I think she is giving a very level-headed performance here as the queen. Something that I think uh, is important to keep in mind with this type of queen character is she is not the monarch of the the country. She is the spouse to the monarch. So the way she presents herself as the wife, it would be different than how she would present herself if she were like, the queen of England in the way that her daughter would go on to become. So here as the wife to the king, I think she's able to exist in this more down to earth sort of way. And uh, she has a lot of really nice little moments here in this movie. Um, She's not just there in the way that I think a lot of people remember her as being. She has some really nice one-on-one moments with both Jeffrey Rush and um, I'm blanking on the name of the guy who plays Colin the game. Firth. Colin Firth. I don't know why that just escaped me. Um, <laughs> she's also she also has some really funny moments in this movie. Uh, I think on the whole, I do prefer her Wings of the Dove performance, but that's also very different, being that that's a lead performance and she simply has more to quote unquote do. She has more time to sort of play around with things, but. Um, I think this is a really great supporting nomination here for Helena Bonham Carter. And I think it's unfortunate that a lot of people seem to remember her as just sort of being wall decoration. And she only got in because the movie itself was getting in. I think that's sort of unfair to her as a performer. So I would recommend if people ever choose to revisit this movie to really just zero in on her and see why it was that she was getting this acclaim. Because I think she did deserve it. Yeah, I mean, this is like, I don't want to sound, I mean, the BAFTAs can be pretty biased too when it comes to English performers performing as their kings and queens. Like, we all kind of knew going into this that she was winning BAFTA, and it really, like, BAFTA's the one, is really the only one of the precursors that can really coincide with the Academy voters. Like, I wouldn't even say SAG, because 
I feel like they're, mm, I don't know, probably both to be, yeah. I just feel like BAFTA has more voters with the Academy than maybe SAG because SAG is so low. You know, you got to think of how many performers are in SAG and there's only like 3,000 actors in SAG who are part of the Academy. So I want to say probably BAFTA. Um, so it really makes me wonder like where she ended up in this lineup, if she was the runner up or not. Hmm. I think it's Did possible. I, I, mean, I think it's possible. I mean, also considering the King's speech would go on to win picture and a lot of people would, would theorize that an actor in the film could possibly have been carried along with those votes. People who say vote a straight ticket or simply liked the movie and just checked that box as well. So um, yeah. I think it's possible that she was runner up here. Yeah, you know what I'm really inter uh, interested in when it comes to this movie that we've already announced it with everyone is that um, 2010 is our season premiere, but will be our season finale of season six for the men. So I'm really, uh, next season, so I'm really interested to hear on your thoughts on Jeffrey Rush here, um, mm. because I think that is a whole other conversation compared to Firth and like Bonham Carter, because, well, we'll get to it, but I'm just, I'm really interested right. to hear your thoughts on him specifically from this movie. Um, but yeah, Bonham Carter's great. I think she's amazing. Yeah, I was just going to throw out there for those listeners who don't follow us on Twitter, um, the little announcement that we had going forward is once we reach 2019, oh, yeah. uh, we're hitting the rewind button and moving backwards in time with the lead actor and supporting actors. So we'll start with 2019 men and move backwards in time, meaning that 2010 will be the season finale of next season. So that's that little bit for those of us who aren't on Twitter with us. And I will just say, um, as a little, a little tease, the guests we have for season six are amazing. Yes, um, we've really already started uh, assembling our team and uh, we've got some pretty Avengers good Avengers assemble. Yes. So Dude, uh, anything I else on Helena? No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, next, we have Haley Seinfeld, nominated for True Grit. This is her first and only nomination, and the only major-ish win that she receives is a Critics' Choice Award for Young Actor. And going into this, she is nominated with SAG and Critics' Choice in Supporting, and a BAFTA nomination in Lead. In True Grit, Haley Steinfeld plays Maddie Ross, a stubborn teenager who wants vengeance for her father's murder. So she hires a drunken and gritty U.S. Marshal. So how do you feel about Haley Steinfeld in True Grit? As Angelina Jolie said in Maleficent, well, well. Um, what a great performance in the wrong goddamn category. Holy shit, did we start off this decade with a major category fraud. Um, and it's so sad because a couple of reasons. Number one, Haley Seinfeld is of Asian descent, which many people don't know. I found out when I, we did, when I posted the, um, the celebration of Asian actresses who had been nominated by the Academy, which there's only been six, by the way, which is ridiculous. Um, and what, first of all, a historic moment would it have been if she had gotten in where she was supposed to lead? Because number one, it would have been the first 
actress of Asian descent to Merle Oberon in I think the 40s or 30s to be in that category. And then she would have been one of the youngest at that point until a couple years later with Quaventure and Wallace to get into that category. So just like what a historic moment that could have been. Let's start that. Um, regarding this performance, I think this is my favorite performance to ever come out of a Coen Brothers film. And I am not a huge fan of the Coen Brothers movies at all. Um, and I, I, I will also say she has never been this good since. I don't know what type of, I mean, the Edge of 17, she was really good at. Let me, let me rephrase that. But this level of good is like mind-blowingly good. Um, for it being her first film, um, her first lead role, I, she, she started off on such a pedestal that I, she's had a really hard time grasping on up to that point since. Um, the, I don't like True Grit. I don't like the original True Grit. I really don't like this True Grit, but the only reason why I would ever see this movie again is to watch it for her. And I think there's just such, like Kim Darby's performance of Maddie Ross is very much the, the sidekick role. Haley Steinfeld's version of Maddie Ross is, bitch, I'm here, I'm queer, and I'm not going anywhere. You know what I mean? It's very, like, right there. Um, and I love this so much. I love this role for her so much. I love this performance so much. <sighs> Campaign and politics, though. What is the supporting nomination? I don't get it. Um, and it's just sad because she's really good here. What about you? Yeah, it's too bad um, that things are the way they are and she was uh, put in supporting um, because she is quite good here. Uh, True Grit is the story of Maddie Ross. Um, Rooster Cogburn is a big part of it. Um, I would say they're both leads, but this is ultimately her story. Um, it's her journey uh, to seek revenge. Um, and it's really all about her when this is said and done. Um, Haley Steinfeld, I think, gives a wonderful and tenacious little performance here. Um, I think it is frequently overlooked in the Coen Brothers uh, filmography when it comes to performances. Um, I'm not sure if that's because this is a, um, a child performance or what, but um, I do think she is quite marvelous here. She shows a lot of um, ballsiness in this role. Um, a lot of no-nonsense uh, sort of demeanor. And um, she has an energy that carries this movie all the way through. She really does carry this film. And this is a pretty big film. Uh, you know, being a Coen Brothers Western um, that covers a lot of land, there's a lot of big names in this movie. And um, you would never know that this was essentially a debut because she really, really commands the screen here. So um, I think it would have been a worthy, um, a worthy performance to nominate and lead. I don't know about this year in particular. Uh, this is a really tough lead actress year, as we'll get to in a little bit. So I'd really have to like split some hairs and think about whether I would boot anyone in favor of her. But I do think she is giving a performance worthy of such recognition. Yeah. It's, do you agree, though, that she hasn't really been able to reach this level of, like, greatness since? Yeah. Um, I also liked her Which in The Edge of Seventeen. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if she's just not 
being given material that's worthy of her or being paired with directors that know how to work with her in the way that the Coens seemed to. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but um, yeah, I'd agree that, uh, I don't know if she has topped this performance since 2010. Yeah. And for the, do you, do you, um, God, late 80s, even in the 90s, do you remember Body by Jake, the trainer? No, I don't think so. So for, so there, there's, there was a really infamous trainer. It was like Billy Banks or like the male Jane Fonda of the workout world, Body by Jake, Jake Steinfeld is her uncle. Oh. So not many, not many people, I don't think, ever put that together. Um, but yeah, for those of you who know Body by Jake, that's her uncle. So, okay. Um, question: Jeffrey Kerr wants to know: Had Haley Steinfeld gone for true, gone lead for True Grit, who do you think she would have replaced in the Best Actress lineup, and who do you think would have taken her spot in Best Supporting? Brandon, you want to start that off? I really don't know um, who she would have beat for that. Um, yeah. as far as taking her spot goes, I guess I'd really have to look at the other movies from that year. Like I'm blanking on anyone else who was sort of like on the cusp. Maybe, maybe Dale Dickey for Winter's Bone could have snuck in there. I'm not sure. Black Swan ladies. Yeah. Anyone from Black Swan. Uh, I know Mila Kunis was in the conversation. Also there's Barbara Hershey in that film. Hell, Winona Ryder would have been a fun nomination. <laughs> Well, hold on to those because hold on to that specifically because we actually have a question for, regarding the Black Swan okay. ladies. I know Leslie Manville was, which I don't understand mm. this buzz for another year. I thought another year was shit. Um, and I just, she's not memorable, but I know like she had the option. I mean, here's the thing. I, I Going off of precursors, I would have to say she replaces Michelle Williams because Williams was the, 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 the scarcity of the... Like, like it was known that she could get in for Blue Valentine, but it was never guaranteed like the others. Um, so I would say like Michelle Williams would be who she'd replace. Um, but I would, yeah, I'd want to see Dale Dickey in that spot. I think Dale Dickey was fantastic in Winter's Ball. Yeah. Uh, so. By the way, Dale Dickey is really fun in the movie Palm Springs, which just uh, came out on Hulu. She has a very small part, but um, uh, she has a couple little tiny scene stealing moments. So if you're a fan of Dale Dickey, um, check out Palm Springs. I haven't seen it yet because, so I'm the Amazon Prime friend, and then I have the Netflix friend who I have used their account, and then I have like HBO Max, and my Hulu person deleted their Hulu. So someone give me your fucking Hulu uh, account because I'm not for, I'm not paying for another goddamn service. Mm -hmm. I got too much. Um, that covers the question on Steinfeld. Okay, well, uh, next we have our final supporting actress nominee. That is Jackie Weaver, nominated for Animal Kingdom. This is her first of two nominations, and going into this, she gets a couple of pretty good precursors. She wins with the National Board of Review and with the Los Angeles Film Critics, and she's nominated with the Globes, the Critics' uh, Choice Awards, and the National Society of Film Critics. In Animal Kingdom, Jackie Weaver plays Grandma Smurf, the matriarch of a Melbourne crime family who takes in her grandson when his mother dies of a heroin overdose. So how do you feel about Jackie Weaver in Animal Kingdom? What a debut nomination for an actress, especially in her 60s. Holy shit. Um, 
I remember this this movie. Okay, so I was working at Blockbuster the uh, this season of um, uh, the Oscars, and I remember we only got two copies in of Animal Kingdom. And I kept pushing on people. I was like, "You need to see this movie. Like this, like th- this movie isn't the movie isn't great. I would say like the movie drags. It's pretty boring for a good chunk of it." Um, and that's really the beginning chunk of it. And she's sprinkled out through the beginning, but it's really near the end where she gets to shine. And I think number one that hurt her come nom- come voting for a couple of reasons I'll get to in a second. But um, what she's doing here, like a lot of people said, this was like the Australian version of Goodfellas, which I really wouldn't agree with. But I think it's a great Australian mob movie. This is one of those movies where you think you know what's happening and then her character you realize is controlling everything. Her character is the neck, which is turning the head any way it wants, to quote my Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, and it, she is diabolical. She is one of the best villains ever put on screen. She is so much fun. And yet you hate and love her at the same time. And to hate and love at the same time is really hard for an actor to pull off. Because for an example, like you hate when you watch The Mist, you hate Marsha Gay Harden's character. There's no loving that character whatsoever. And then like when you see other films like Truger even, you love the Maddie Ross character. Like you don't, there's not a moment where you hate her. Jackie Weaver pulls off both at the same time and that's really tricky to do. Um, I've got no complaints about this one either. I think she's diabolical and wonderful. Now to get to my point really quick where I think it hurt her, I think Animal Kingdom was such like, I remember when uh, hearing buzz from this when it debuted, I think LA Film Festival in the States and instantly she had buzz. And then like she was carried, like she was always guaranteed a nomination, but when she missed SAG, even people were like, oh, she's still gonna get in. Um, I think it hurt her because this movie takes so long to get to her character arch that people probably just shut it off at some point and was like, well, I don't get what she's doing here. And I I think that sucks. Because I think she really could have won this year if people had given this movie a chance and if Leo had simmered down on her fucking campaign. What about you? Yeah, so I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, This was my first time watching it since 2011. I want to say it was like 2011 when I actually got around to watching this movie, like around the time the ceremony actually was. And um, it must have been before the ceremony because if I remember correctly, she was my personal winner going into it on the night. And it's Mm -hmm. been, what, nine-ish years since so i went to watch it having forgotten a lot of how it plays out and there did hit a time where i was like why was jackie weaver my winner i remember her being like really amazing in this because it does only sprinkle her in very sporadically and she doesn't get that much to do quote unquote until the end and it's not until the end that you realize exactly what it was she was doing all along um because there's that a little bit of a reveal in a sense there in the final act with her character. Uh, But Mm -hmm. Jackie Weaver is really great in this movie. Um, She's able to be this sort of master puppeteer, diabolical mastermind while also balancing this maternal instinct and being this loving, caring grandma figure to our lead actor here um, who has sort of been removed from this portion of the family by his mother, who is, I guess, trying to shield him from this world. And now that he's in it, um, due to the passing of his mother, we're, he's sort of the audience surrogate and we're seeing 
exactly what it is that makes this family so evil in a way. And um, at the head of the table is Jackie Weaver. But you would know that because she is so subtle in a lot of ways. She's not this big, loud, gang boss lady through and through. She kind of takes the the opposite approach to Melissa Leo in a way, where she's able to have this presence without really showing you that she has it. Mm. Uh, but then again, it's not until the end um, when we actually really fully understand exactly how much power this character has. I think you always kind of know it a little bit, knowing that she is sort of the matriarch figure of this family and that she has a certain level of power. But it's not until a lot of her sons are killed, um, arrested, and uh, she is out on her own because the cops can't come for her because she is too good at what she does, um, that right. you realize just how, uh, how far she reaches uh, and how far she has reached throughout this entire story. Yeah, you know, there's nothing I don't disagree with you there. I like, I think this is one of those diamond in the rough nominations too. Like, what I mean by that, I, I think it's like, you don't understand the brilliance of this movie until you really sit down and search for it. And by searching for it, I mean by just watching the movie. But you have to be patient with this movie because goddamn, is it a slow burner? And that's where I think like, people were just so turned off. And it's funny because you can go back and watch the Oscar win of Melissa Leo. And this, the clip that they used for Jackie Weaver was the, um, and you've done some bad things, sweetie, near the end where she's like talking to the district attorney. And if you go back and listen to everyone clapping post scenes, she gets the thunderous applause here out of all five nominees. So I have a feeling like, the first time a lot of people even saw her in this film was at that ceremony on that clip. And I'm, t I'm talking even voters because it's astounding that they give Melissa Leo the win when they gave J Weaver the biggest applause. Mm -hmm. And it sucks because she's so good. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where she would have ranked in the end. Um, I mean, considering she was able to squeak into this category, I have to imagine that there were there was a substantial chunk of the Academy that was really on her side, and they were able to get her across that finish line to be nominated. Yeah. But then at the same time, I have to wonder, is Animal Kingdom the film in this lineup that was the least seen, considering we have the King's Speech, the Fighter, and True Grit? So I want to say she had enough I mean people... I don't think she was last, but I don't know if she quite made runner-up. Maybe she was a solid third, considering she had enough votes to get her into the lineup. But I don't know with the, in the greater body voting in the end on the five nominees if she was actually runner-up. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. Her, her film here, she represents the only nomination for Animal Kingdom. And in this lineup, she's the only one in the lineup who doesn't have a Best Picture nominee. So there is, I could see the argument that people want to put for she came in dead last, but I'm just like, hold up here. Because you have to realize who she beat going into this. Um, you had Dale Dickey, you had the Black Swan Ladies, you had 
Um, even God, what's her name from the last exorcism? Um, was she oh, independent right. spirit award nominee and there's a bunch of critics, like she beat her going into that. Um, which by the way, she justice for her, she deserves to be in this lineup. Um, you know, so I want to say, yeah, she was probably third because that's the other thing too. And we talk about this later on, actually, well, you'll hear about this more in 2018 or the end of the season, uh, with our guests, but, um, those rando nominees, rando, like, and what I mean by that are the ones who have no precursors going into this or just a certain amount, more so who have no precursors going into this, um, are always closer than you think because the hardest thing to do outside of winning the Oscar is getting the nomination. Yeah. You have to realize you're one, of, you're, you're one of five performances out of all the movies that came out that year. So, I mean, she's a lot closer than we think. Yeah, I don't buy that she was dead last. Um... I don't know if she was runner-up, but I would, I'd be comfortable saying she was a solid third, maybe, in the yeah. final tally. Yeah. I don't think she was dead last at all. But we do have some questions regarding this category. Andrew Carden, do you guys prefer Barbara Hershey or Mila Kunis uh, in Black Swan? And would you have nominated either or both? Um, I think Kunis is a lot of fun, but I think Hershey is like the better of the two. Um, which is funny because I know that originally they wanted to offer this to Meryl Streep and I'm kind of glad they didn't because we see enough of Streep and Barbara Hershey had that, the, Barbara Hershey had like a Barbara Hershey renaissance in 2010. She had this and Insidious and which were both really big hits for her. Plus BAFTA looked at her there. So I would say Hershey was my favorite of the two. Would I have nominated her? I think I would. I think I would. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I remember Mila Kunis being the one who is getting all the attention and not hershey she got everything yeah yeah but um i've always been more on the barbara hershey side when it comes to um giving recognition to the supporting cast um mm -hmm. i also think barbara hershey just simply deserves more uh period and i think this would have been a really great um way to nominate her here what 15 yeah. or so years since her previous nomination and um, yeah. yeah, I would I would give Barbara Hershey a nomination over. I mean, I would take out Haley Seinfeld, considering the category placement at all. You know, not just looking at performance, just category. Uh, Barbara Hershey deserves to be in this lineup more than Haley Steinfeld does. Yeah, for sure. Um, Nick Cipriano just says justice for Barbara Hershey. Period. Yes. So he also agrees. Um. I think that's it on um, supporting. Okay. Just looking, I'm looking over my notes here really quick from the questions. Oh, really quick. Juan Carlos Ohana wants to know, who do you think was number six in, in supporting actress? Uh, based off of precursors, I would say Mila Kunis was number six. I mean, her. I remember her not being nominated because she got nominated everywhere else except for BAFTA. Um, yeah. Or maybe she didn't get it in BAFTA. I think I don't fucking remember. Um, was the big shock that she didn't make it in. So I want to say Mila Kunis was six. Yeah, uh, not looking at performance and personal preference, because again, that's not exactly how these things happen in real life. I do remember Mila Kunis being pretty much everywhere for this. Um, I wasn't exactly yeah. paying attention to the Oscars back then, uh, but I do still recall Mila Kunis popping up everywhere and entering every conversation. So I have to imagine that she was a pretty close six or maybe very, very close seventh. I don't know but I'm sure she was in the conversation. It was very close. To touch on that really quick, Jakey Emmert asked, why was Kunis not nominated? Do you think it's, 
the abstract nature of the role, the focus on the sex scene, the refusal to look past your career and comedic roles, or perfectly logical reason to just accept. Um, I just think she didn't get, it just ended up being the things where she didn't get enough votes. I mean, I don't think there's a rhyme or reason or right reason or wrong reason that she got in. I just think this year in both categories were stacked. I mean, we, we, we just mentioned other people who should have gotten in. Um, the girl from The Last Exorcism, Dale Dickey. I mean, it, it was just a really hard category from both year or in both categories, I think, to just crack. Yeah, I think it's safe to say all of the above. Everything that you said yeah. in the examples that he gave, they all make sense. Uh, it's just the way it worked out for her. Anything else before we dive into lead? I don't think so. All right, your 2010 nominees for one of the best categories ever nominated. Uh, your lead actress nominees were... Annette, throughout your magnificent career, you have always imbued your characters with strength and humanity that's impossible to turn away from. And this time around is no exception. With your fierce and fragile performance in The Kids Are All Right. Annette Bening. stunning performances year after year, distilling your character's reality to their purest form. And what is being called your best performance to date, that reality is as painful as your vivid portrayal of Becca in, is awe-inspiring in Rabbit Hole. Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Jennifer. The depth you bring to the screen is well beyond your years. And I speak for everyone watching tonight when I say I look forward to watching your long career unfold, especially after your astounding breakthrough performance in Winter's Bone. Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Natalie. You have won over film devotees of all generations with the range of characters you make your own. And no matter the role, your love for the craft always shines through. But perhaps never more than this year as Nina in Black Swan. Natalie Portman. Michelle. Your vulnerability is truthful, brave, and raw. No matter the part, you elicit the audience's empathy with a grounded, open heart. And this year, you did so once again with your extraordinary work in Blue Valentine. Michelle Williams. Okay. Um, starting off, let's go with Michelle Williams as Cindy in Blue Valentine. This is her second of four nominations. Going into Oscar night, just nominations. Oh, fun fact about everyone in this category. This is the only time that the Oscars have, and the Indie Spirits have lined up perfectly, by the way. I was going to mention that. I thought that was really cool, too. Oh, look at you and I on the same page. Um, Golden Globe, Actress in a Drama, Critics' Choice, and Indie Spirit nominations for a lead actress. Um, in Blue Valentine, again, Michelle plays Cindy, who, Blue Valentine is kind of a prequel in a modern day, modern timeline film. 
it shows it's the it's the film about two characters about where they're at in their marriage currently and where they were at as they fell in love and as they fell apart um and williams plays cindy a woman who really has fallen out of love with essentially in her mind what becomes a deadbeat husband aka ryan um gosling thank you i almost said reynolds like the other one the other ryan uh ryan gosling um, while at the same time, the other portion of the movie shows how deeply smitten she is of him as well. Um, so dual timeline, same movie. Brandon, what do you think about Michelle Williams as Cindy Blue Valentine? Um, so before I get into Williams, another interesting thing I, I noticed about the indie spirits is even though the lead actresses lined up completely, the supporting actresses lined up not at all. None of the supporting yeah. actors from the indie spirits got nominated for an Oscar. So it's kind of a weird, weird thing that happened mm -hmm. there. Um, but yeah. I think Michelle Williams is really great in Blue Valentine. Uh, this performance, um, this film, gives her a lot of opportunities because we see this relationship from the very early butterflies stage, um, all the ups and downs, all the beauty and all the nastiness, uh, all the way through to the end. And um, it's a really, I think, striking and powerful performance. Um, it also feels dangerously true to life. It's one of those performances that you watch and you can't help but wonder if you know someone in your life who is who has gone through this or currently is in their relationship, this someone who's in a couple that appears perfect at least once it begins, but behind the scenes, something really ugly is happening. And um, there's a lot of resentment going on and it turns both of these characters into something that um, I think frightens them and uh, it makes everything all the worse because of it. Um, I feel for her in this performance. Uh, it's hard to not be on her side um, for a lot of it, even though I think the movie does do a decent job of showing things from the Gosling character's perspective a little bit to kind of see, to kind of give an, a bit of an explanation for his erosion of character. Not to say that it's excusable or that um, you're on his side, but it gives justification for why things are happening you know it's kind of that tricky that tricky thing um but williams uh is very heartbreaking in this performance and i'm really glad that a movie like this was able to crack its way into the oscar race um, i believe she was the only representation from this film the only nomination it got was here in lead actress and um I think it's really great that it was able to do that because this is a movie that I think um, deserves to be seen. Um, I'm not sure how many people back then had seen it uh, prior to Oscar night, um, not just in the Academy, but people in general. But um, I think it's definitely one worth, worth revisiting um, and looking at it through this lens 10 years later. Because uh, I think this is a really great Michelle Williams performance. Um, yeah to go off of really good how many people saw it back then so i i was the only one in the theater when this had 
the, in my screening when I'd seen it. I remember I went to the latest showing of it. It was like a 1030 at night showing. And this was, for those of you who aren't in Cleveland, we have this movie theater called Valley View, Cinemark Valley View. It's the biggest theater in Cleveland. It's like 28 screens in one building, just to give you an idea about how big it is. Um, and each screen, except for like maybe like two of them, um, which are like for the small movies, that have, or not even small movies. Well, yeah, the small movies, but the movies have been out for like two months that will play there are huge auditoriums. And so I was the only one in this huge ass auditorium. And yeah, I, I, so I experienced this movie on the big screen by myself and was blown away. This was one of two Sundance films, the other one being Winter's Bone, which we'll get to here in a second, that really were, like made its debut at Sundance. It was able to carry itself all the way through to Oscar night based on how strong it was. Um, Williams in this movie is heartbreaking. She is heartbreaking from the moment where she's force, forcefully or tricked into, I don't want to say, it, it wasn't a rape with her character, with Mike Vogel, where he doesn't pull out. You know what I mean? Like, how would you describe that? There's definitely forcefully impregnated. There's coercion in that scene. Um, yeah, this movie is very careful about how it rides a lot of lines, and yeah. I think you can very easily argue that it's rape. Then there's a lot of other people who would not. I think that's a tricky, that's a rocky road to drive down. But um, there's definitely some some level of force being uh, placed upon her in that scene, whether it's physical or psychological or verbal. It's, a, yeah. it's an uncomfortable scene. Uh, it's an uncomfortable movie. So I will say, le let's leave the interpretation of it up to the viewer. I'm gonna, for me, I'm gonna say she was tricked into the essential pregnancy. Um, and then, you know, you, you show her her, her dealing with that, you show her dealing with wanting to get an abortion. You see the, this, the, this, um, and then she like backs out of it. You, you see this really beautiful relationship she has with her grandma. And then you see it just like kind of all go to hell. Like she's had enough of it years later. Um, you know, Ryan Gosling's character blames her for the death of the dog in the beginning. And, you know, she's, then forced into this like night at a motel with Ryan Gosling's character and they go to make love. And th there's this scene where he goes down on her and she, she just looks so uncomfortable because you can tell that she no longer wants this person. And there's something weirdly beautiful about her uncomfortability here because it feels so real. Like this is one of those performances where you're not watching an actor, you're watching essentially a real person. And fun fact about this movie that I found out, I mean, I've, you know, when this came out was, this film was really improv. There was really no script that Derek C and Friends had like gone by except for like exterior, you know, Brooklyn Bridge, interior, uh, retirement home, you know? So it's really, it's really impressive when you think about what the actors did for this movie, they really did it on their own. Um, so I also put in my ranking, had to like put that into accountability about like what she did and it was all of her choices. Um, yeah, I think this was a great nomination. It was good to see her back. I mean, it took five years for her to get back from Broke Back to this, but 
this was this really showed you that um, Michelle Williams could carry a movie in her uh, essentially on her own, even though this was a dual co-lead film. Mm-hmm. It showed her leading lady, her leading lady star status. Yeah, um, there's definitely a Mike Lee level of naturalism to this movie yeah and it comes through in the performances i know i i laughed a little bit when you mentioned the motel um now that is a very uncomfortable scene i'm not laughing at the material that is um brought to life in that scene i'm laughing at the visual because that motel is ridiculous <laughs> that sort of spaceship uh themed motel room with all the lights and all that junk that i don't know who came up with that idea but it is so well put together the art direction set decoration of that scene is magnificent with all the lights uh kudos to that art department but um yeah the the i don't even want to call it love making but the the physical nature of that scene is just i keep using the word uncomfortable because that's like the only word i can think of that truly like 100 percent makes sense for this movie that May I? Um, yeah. Really quick, I think I have the wording for it. It almost feels like a pity fuck. Be- because she's like, all right, I'll give this a try because he wants it so bad, but she's so not into it. Like, it almost like she has pity for him. So let's throw, I, I want to say she throws him a pity fuck. Yeah, but um, something else but to keep so in hard, mind. It's so hard to like put it into words. Even with that pitiful nature there is still a lot of coercion going on with that with the the husband character he's manipulating her and she agrees quote unquote to do a lot of things not necessarily because she wants to but because she decides it's what's best for her well-being she very well might be frightened of what happens if she says no what he would do to her, if not physically, financially, psychologically, if she turns him down. So she's agreeing to go along with a lot of this, but not not for the right reasons. So um, it's very it's very disturbing in a way. And Michelle Williams really puts a, puts a lot out there, and um, it feels very uncomfortably real. Yeah, um, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. I will say too. I mean, we have a, we have a while until we get to the season finale next year, but or next season. But justice for Ryan Gosling too. I know he got the yeah, Golden nomination here. I actually had to look up stakes. I could not remember if he had been nominated or not because I was like, he sh- he should have been. But then I looked yeah, up. And he was- this is always a movie that I forget that he wasn't nominated for because I, yeah. I do remember too on Oscar morning um, because Julia Roberts' call for Javier, Javier Bardem for Beautiful, I believe took this position for, from, from Gosling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is always one that I forget that he wasn't nominated for. So um, yeah. do you have anything else on uh, Williams before we move on? I think that's about it for now. All right. This year's winner, Natalie Portman as Nina Sayers in Black Swan. This is her second of three nominations. Um, she was the one to beat here. She wins all the big uh, broadcasted awards, Golden Globe, Actress in the Drama, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, Indie Spirit, and SAG. Notice, though, she doesn't win any of the critics anything. Like, so LA Film Critics, National Board of Review, National Society, nothing. 
So I found that to be very interesting going into it. I was like, oh my God. Um, Cause I, it, it was like mind blowing cause she won everything. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's something missing here. Um, okay, so in Black Swan, again, she plays, uh, Natalie plays Mia Sayers. She is a ballerina who really takes to heart, takes to heart the epitome of what perfection is. She will stop at any, she, she won't stop at anything, or she will stop, uh, I'm, I'm having a brain fart. She'll stop at anything, yeah. She'll stop at anything to, to get the lead role, to show that she's worth it, that she is the next, whoever is the Meryl Streep of dance, ballet, She's the next Leslie. I'll say she's the next Leslie Brown. I was going to say that too. It's <laughs> the only dancer I could think of. <laughs> right, Leslie Brown. High five. Um, and where were they? Uh, yeah, and it takes a real dark turn for her and the people around her in this movie. Uh, so, what do you think about Natalie Portman here, the undeniable winner of everything uh, this season? Um, so I think it makes sense uh, why she ended up being this undeniable winner and why she ended up, you know being so present uh, this award season, uh, because I think she is giving a tremendous performance here in Black Swan, which is giving her a lot to do. Um, it's a very physically demanding part. It's also very psychologically demanding. There's a whole lot going on here, and Aronofsky making this a horror film really ups the ante in a way. Um, it really puts yeah. all this in a very exaggerated setting. Um, both externally and internally. Um, and Natalie Portman, I think, plays into everything very well. Uh, she really buys into this very unnatural um, setting that she finds herself in, while also somehow keeping it very grounded in a way. Like, it, even though this is a horror film that has a lot of very um, magical things going on in it, it seems to be somehow rooted in a very real place. And even when you see something that, say, would not exist in real life, something that normal people would not see, like when she moves her arms and the wings come up on stage, that's something that everyone in the audience does not see but it's happening inside her mind and in her heart. And it translates to the audience. We know it's real to her, so it's real to us. And Natalie Portman, I think, is really able to sell all that. Um, she also puts herself physically through a lot of really brutal um, conditions with the dancing and how uh, stressful that all must be. Like I was watching this movie again thinking, that world seems stressful as fuck. I could never be a, a ballerina. Um, Grapefruit for breakfast? No ma'am, no, no. ma'am. I, no. I also like to eat too much. Like I could never live in that world. They can't drink the night before a performance. I mean, come on. Um, then you have Mila Kunis just nomming on a giant, juicy, bloody burger. Right? Yes, that's me as a ballerina. Yeah, queen Mila Kunis. Um, yeah, Natalie Portman's really great here. Uh, this is a movie that I feel like a lot of people try to dance around the, the idea that it's a horror film. I think that's a lot of a critical thing. This is where that sort of 
psychological thriller uh, idea comes in or elevated uh, nonsense. It, it's, a, it's a horror movie, plain and simple. Uh, it's shot like one, uh, it's tonally like one, it is absolutely played like one. Um, not just Natalie Portman, but the Winona Ryder character, what she goes through when she is like stabbing herself in the fucking face. Like, come on. Um, justice for Winona Ryder, uh, she deserves more roles worthy of her. This was a comeback role for Winona Ryder and it's like a four minute role. Yes. Oh, good for her. And th this movie was featured on the cover of Fangoria. Like it was, it's a horror movie, people. It's a yes. fucking horror movie. Queen ally Darren Aronofsky for giving these queens their renaissance and showing everyone that Mila Kunis was more than just a sitcom star. Because Mila Kunis yeah. is also quite good here. Even though she's not the one that I personally would have nominated from the supporting cast, she's also amazing. Um, but yeah, everything really comes together. And I think Natalie Portman it is the rug that ties the room together in this movie. She's really great. Yeah. Yeah, I Black Swan, the night of the ceremony, was my pick for picture and director. Me too. Um, I'll leave. Really? Yeah. Another high five. Take that, um, social network dweebs. Uh, I will say Aronofsky really, really was robbed here for a director. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a whole other conversation, but... Aronofsky for director was really fucked out of a out of a win here. Um, whether or not I hope one day we get to do Best Picture because this is a great year for Best Picture. So we'll we'll have to see if we still agree on that. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, um, this was the first time I was obsessed with a movie. I remember from the Oscars, um, I saw it three times in theaters. It was the first time I saw a movie that was like more than once in a theater. And um, is that the most? No, because I saw Suspiria four times in the theater. So Suspiria holds how many times I've ever seen a film in the theater. Um, but yeah, so I saw this three. Um, and I remember too specifically, this was the, uh, the year, or this was the film that I saw the Tree of Life trailer for the first time. I was like, who's Jessica Chastain? Mm -hmm. She's never going to be a big star. Um, but no, I love this movie. I think this is great. I love, I love that you commented on the fact that it was a horror film. Yes, absolutely. Portman, though, is mind-blowing she is so nuts and she is so like her determination is like weirdly poetic and weirdly disturbing at the same time i mean she's literally like like self-harming she is god the scene with her masturbating and her mom is sleeping right there i'm like I was 18 when this came out and I was like, I could not even, um, I, I, I mean, I'm 28 now and I, I'm still like, I could never imagine masturbating and not realizing a parent was right there. I'm like, awkward. I mean, it's still just this whole movie. I just, I love this performance and I love this movie so much. And I'm just like, if I'm talking about Portman, I kind of want to talk about the whole thing, but I just, I, I can't, I can't because we could be here for another hour talking about this alone. Mm -hmm. um, Portman is wonderful here, and I love her in it, and there is not a bad thing I have to say about this at all. Yeah, I think her determination, as you mentioned, is another big factor for why a lot of people rallied around this performance, um, because this is a character who desperately wants to succeed in her craft, in her art form, 
and become a star because she deserves it, not necessarily because she seeks fame or mm -hmm. because she wants to be on the posters, but because she cares so much about being the most perfect ballerina that she wants the recognition and she wants to be given the lead parts because she deserves it, because she pushed herself and because she is truly the best. And that journey to becoming the best is her tragic downfall because that's where she starts to unravel um, when she's really getting into this dark character mindset of the white and the black swan and how you can be both or how they are not a binary, but if you treat them as a binary, you'll completely lose your mind. And that's sort of the, the dark path that she finds herself going down as she starts to lose it and um, lose her grip on reality. Yeah. And Natalie Portman, I think really, really sells it. And um, I can see why a lot of people would get behind this movie. Um, given the nature of the character and what her goals are, considering this is yeah. a body of voters who are all artists. Now, here's a question for you that I, that I propose. Did she die at the end? I do think, think she, she, do you think Nina dies? I've always interpreted the ending that she does die. Mm -hmm. I think it's her tragedy to die. Um, I know the, this is a conversation that people have been having since it came out, but every time I've watched this movie, it's never like hit me, oh no, she lived, she survived. It, it just makes more sense to me, and it seems more poetic that she would die, but maybe I'm just a dark person. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you are, because I also have, since this came out, thinks, thinks has thought that she has died. Um, and if you know the story of Black Swan too, you know that the Black Swan dies. And essentially for her, she is the Black Swan. I mean, I'm pretty sure for a while, I mean, she's no longer credited. Uh, none of them are credited on IMDb as this, but they were literally credited as like the dying swan was Winona Ryder and the white swan was Mila Kunis and the black swan was Natalie Portman. And like the actual characters, it's weird that they're no longer credited as that. Um, but I do think she died. I don't think there's a there's an explanation that would have her survive. Like I, like I'm pretty sure if they ever made a Black Swan two, it wouldn't even be the same characters. You know what I mean? Like it would be something totally different. Yeah, I mean, we don't think the Black that, Swan two. Yeah, uh, it seems that in order for her to fully become the Black Swan, her demise would have to be the same as the character. Yeah, or else the movie doesn't really work. Yeah. I think it's okay that it ends on this ambiguous note. Um, but if it were to give a, an actual explanation for whether she lives or dies, I think it would be that she dies. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, moving on. Okay. All right. Jennifer Lawrence, this is her first outing here as Re in Winter's Bone. This is her first of four nominations thus far. Um, she is nominated at Golden Globes for Actress and Drama, Critics' Choice, Indie Spirit, the LA Film Critics. She wins at National Board of Review, but for Breakthrough. Again, we don't really know if that really counts for anything going into this, but it's good to note. 
and nominated at SAG. In Winter's Bone, again, Jennifer plays Re, a young girl who is in charge of a family at an age where she should not be because her father is an infamous meth dealer in the Appalachians, or I'm sorry, in the Ozarks. And um, uh, she goes on a hunt to find him after he goes missing when the house is up for foreclosure, essentially. Um, so, Brandon, what do you think of Jennifer Lawrence as Re in Winter's Bone? I think this is a really great debut nomination uh, for her. This is not her debut role, but it's her first nomination. And I think this is a really good one um, to get in on, if that made sense. Um, she is another one, kind of like Haley Seinfeld, who really holds her own in this movie. Um, she plays this part like she's a seasoned actress who's been in the game for decades and decades. Uh, it's a highly believable role. Um, it, I guess now that I'm comparing the two in my head, it feels more scripted than the Michelle Williams performance, but that's nothing against her. Um, mm. But it does still feel very natural. Uh, I really dig this journey that she's on. It, we don't, I feel like we don't get very many uh, nominations where someone is investigating something like literally trying to solve a crime i don't know maybe i'm just blanking but Susan i think it's kind Sarandon of cool. in the client yeah but it doesn't happen often um, right but i think it's really cool that we get a little it's kind of like a whodunit in a way although she's really just she's she's trying to locate someone um but i kind of like that she has to go through all these little hoops and um ruffle a lot of feathers here with these townspeople, all of whom seem to be somehow related to this meth world that her father was in, uh, in some capacity, whether you know they're manufacturing or dealing or simply users or something. Um, it really, you know, goes to show just how how far-reaching the whole whole like meth epidemic is uh but i think she's great here um it is a very reactive performance um she is someone who is in the in the nature of trying to solve this crime she is you know confronting people asking questions reacting assessing moving on to the next person trying to get ever closer to that x on the map so um, I've heard people say, uh, criticize the, not the performance, but the nature of the character, that she has no agency in this story. I kind of see the argument for that, but I also don't see that as valid criticism because that's sort of the position that she is in. She. Mm -hmm. The whole reason for why she's trying to seek out her father is because she, as a person, lacks agency in this world. She needs him in order to keep the house. It's going to get repossessed or whatever the proper legal term is by the court system because, um, if I remember correctly, he had it up for collateral for his bail and then he disappears, thus uh, breaking his bail. So she is put in a position where she needs to find the evidence that she needs and i can see why people would say that means that she lacks agency but 
I think the search for agency gives you agency. So I don't know. It's a weird criticism that I've seen with this character, but um, Jennifer Lawrence, I think does it really well. She's a person in a position of very little power and she's in this world where there are a lot of people with some very underground power and um, there's a lot of consequences for the actions that she takes in trying to solve this mystery. And um, I think she does it really well. I think this is a really great um, outing for Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I would say this is my favorite of her four nominations so far. Um, I'm obsessed with Winner's Bone. The way I was obsessed with Black Swan when it came out is the same way I was obsessed with this movie when it came out. Um, I remember specifically, if you go back and watch the, 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 the trailer for this movie, it's like, it's advertised as like this big suspense thriller. And it, like, it's one of those, it reminds me a lot of Batman Begins's, 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 one of the, the TV spots they had where it was like a love story between Christian Bale and Katie Holmes. Like it had really nothing to do with the actual film. The way this movie is um, portrayed is to be like something like The Firm or um, even Black Swan, I would say. Like this really suspenseful yada, yada, yada. Um, and it's so funny because this is a slow burn family drama and it is so intriguing and I love that it got in best picture. Um, and Jennifer Lawrence here is a delight. Uh, she is, let's see, she was born in 1990. So she's two years, you were born in what, 91? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she, we're, we're like all the same age as Jennifer Lawrence and I was 92. Um, so I remember like being really young and being like, oh my God, there's someone my age who got into Oscar. And like, that's so cool. Like it was like cool to be yeah. at that time to be an 18 year old and see this, what, 19 or 20 year old get in. And so I remember like just being part of the, that, you know, with that generation, like being really relating to this character, even though I had nothing to do with this character. And I think that's pretty cool that Jennifer Lawrence was able to pull that off because she wasn't J-Law as she's known as now. She was literally Jenny Lawrence. Um, I actually shared a photo of her at Sundance the night before Winter's Bone had come out. And um, it's so weird to think like how much her life changed in just that 12 hours um, because you literally see Jenny Lawrence. And then we know her now as J-Law. Um, and so I don't think if she was star status where she's at now, she could have pulled this off because she's so relatable. She's so, you feel for her. And I remember too, weirdly, the stupidest thing, a big part that people kept bringing up in her journey to the Oscars was the skinning of the squirrels. And I'm like, she did so much more than just skin some fucking squirrels. Like this girl really became a superhero for her family and really became like, I don't know how else to say it other than relatable. She's so relatable for a scenario that I've never been in. And I think if you can do that, I mean, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. I also really like that this movie was able to crack best picture. Um, I think that right there is justification for why there needs to be more than five um, slots for best picture. I'm glad we're going to an even 10 now 
this whole formula yeah. that it's going to be somewhere between five and 10 has just been like really annoying for the last handful of years. I'm glad yeah. we're going back to the 1943 days where it's just a solid 10. Uh, because yeah. the little indie movies that, um, that garner enough steam but don't have the money necessarily that a King's Speech or a social network has also deserve to be in that conversation. So, um, yeah, really glad that this one made it, and I hope that many more like it make it in the future. But, um, yeah, Jennifer Lawrence is solid here. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's my favorite of hers, but I really have to, like, think about that. But it's definitely worthy of being up there. Um, it's really good stuff from her. Well, let's see. Recording for what we've done as of now, we've only talked about her with Silver Linings, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've so talked we about Silver we, Linings. We haven't been, but the yeah. audience hasn't heard this yet. Yeah, you guys haven't heard it. Um, but we, so we haven't gotten to Hustle or Joy yet. But I would say out of those four, I think this is my favorite. This is my mm -hmm. favorite of hers. Um, do you have anything else? I think I'm all right. Let us move on to... Nicole Kidman as Becca in Rabbit Hole. This is her third of four nominations. Um, going into Oscar night, she didn't win anything, but she was nominated at Golden Globes for Actress of Drama, Critics' Choice, Indie Spirit, and SAG. In Rabbit Hole, again, Nicole plays Becca, who is a mother who is grieving after the accidental murder of her son, uh, who is a young boy of six who chases dog into a street. Oh, yeah, Diane Weiss. We didn't even talk about her in the supporting when that was brought up, too. Duh, Diane Weiss. Oh, yes. um, I tender this here. Um, but this is the story of her with her husband and the grief of what comes of losing a child. So, Brandon, what do you think of Nicole as Becca and Rabbit Hole? So this is a movie that I also had not revisited for roughly nine or ten years. Um, it's a movie that, like, weirdly struck me when I watched it way back in the day and it's a movie that i like repeatedly find myself thinking about at different points not necessarily just like specific ex scenes from the movie but just this whole concept of parallel universes and finding comfort in that idea has always kind of stuck with me um so i really love the scene toward the end when um, the Nicole Kidman character is talking to Miles Teller and he's explaining this, this notion that there are infinite other worlds where we exist and there's infinite possibilities of how those worlds are playing out. And she comes to this conclusion that somewhere out there, her son is still alive and she's happy and that there's not just one example of that there are infinite universes where he's alive and they're happy and for some reason this idea has really like latched itself onto me and i think nicole kidman is a big part of that um this is a very an, another very uncomfortable performance to watch but in a completely different way um she's dealing with grief um, in, on her own and in front of her loved ones and in public. And we see the different ways we process and reveal our grief in different venues and how we choose to mask it 
or not. Um, and how we might even choose to mask it among people who we love because we don't want them to judge us or respond in a way that wouldn't be helpful or that they might find troubling. Um, Nicole Kidman's kind of like a walking nerve ending in this movie. Um, it's really painful to watch because uh, she really puts herself through all kinds of feelings, emotions, heartache. And um, it's a, I don't know, it's a, it's a performance that if you've ever been in a situation similar to hers, not specifically having lost a child, but having experienced um, very deep feelings of grief, uh, I think it's one that would really resonate with a lot of people. And uh, she doesn't hold back at all. Even in the scenes where she's pretending like she is or putting on like she is for the comfort of other people, she as a performer is feeling all of the feelings that her character would be feeling. Um, she's kind of like a, I don't know, she's like a lightning rod of emotion in this movie. Uh, so I really, I really admire Nicole Kidman's performance here in Rabbit Hole. Yeah, this is, I think this is the only, at least for me, out of the five nominations where this is not a movie that I go in and then leave in a good mood. I think this is like, you know, like the kids are all right, you can leave in a good mood. Black Swan, you kind of leave excited. Winner's Bone, it's like, you know, gotta, gotta, gotta. This is kind of one that just is like, this is not the feel-good film of 2010. Mm -hmm. And I think it wouldn't, well, first of all, I want to say I think it's very interesting that Cynthia Nixon played this role on Broadway, won the Tony. Cynthia Nixon is missing the O out of her EGOT. And I'm like, what could have been? What could have been? Because I, I, I can't find a video of Cynthia Nixon anywhere doing this role. Like, there's not, it doesn't exist. Um, it's like Mean Girls, the limit does not exist. And I, so I'm like, okay, what could have been? But I think this is great. I think Nicole Kidman is, I think this is her best nomination. This is her best work she's done that she's been nominated for. Um, and it's so sad because this is probably with Lion, her least seen. Um, Rabbit Hole was the least seen nominated movie of this lineup. Um, or, or I'm sorry, the, 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 the lowest grossing. So yeah, the least seen. Um, and it's sad because Kidman throws you on a fucking roller coaster here. Um, you want to hug her? You want to wipe away her tears. You're proud of her when she wants to move on. You, you're frustrated with her. You're, you feel the sense of loss like it's your own child. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not really sure if any other actress could have pulled it off like her for this. Um, I think this is magnifique, to put it. Um, this is another one. I have no complaints. You know, I, this, is, this is one where... I hadn't seen this in a long time and I revisited this and I, and I kind of weirdly wanted to watch it again right afterwards because I was just so taken in by Kidman and I was so enamored with the whole spectrum of emotions from watching her do this. And I can't, I don't think there's another performance in this lineup that made me want to instantly rewatch it due to just the performance like Kidman's. Um, it's beautiful. It's fucking beautiful. I have a question for you, though, um, regarding Rabbit Hole. 
because I've heard this a lot, um, which I was honestly shocked about because I don't think this at all. Do you think Aaron Eckhart should be in this conversation for lead? Because I think he's hammy as fuck in this movie. Like, I think he's really bad here. I don't think he's bad, but I'm okay with him not being nominated. I'd have to look at the lineup and really, and the whole year. But I honestly don't think he would make my top five personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not mad that he was snubbed, if people want to call it that. But if he had gotten in, sure. But basically, I'm okay with how it played out. Same. Um, Anything else? Um, I think of all the, of the five lead actresses here, this is the performance that drains me the most. Like, Michelle Williams, um, makes me uncomfortable. Natalie Portman thrills me. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, I find myself rooting for. Uh, Annette Bening we haven't gotten to yet, but she's delightful. Uh, Nicole Kidman, though, I feel like emotionally and psychologically exhausted after this performance she like she really pulls everything out of the viewer with this one so i don't hmm, i'm not sure if it's my favorite of hers it's neck and neck with the hours for me they're very different performances but i think they are both incredible yeah i would agree i would agree even though we don't agree with her, she belongs in the hours category-wise. I would agree if you're looking at the performances, mm-hmm. you're, you're on point. Um, well, moving on to Annette Benning, our final nominee this year as Nick in The Kids Are All Right. This is her fourth of four nominations so far. It's been a decade since we've seen her at the Oscars. She was close for 20th Century Woman, though. Um, she wins the Golden Globe from Actress in a Comedy Musical, and she wins at the New York Film Critics Association. She's nominated everywhere else at BAFTA Critics' Choice, Indie Spirit, the National Society of Film Critics, and SAG. And then, of course, she's also nominated SAG for Ensemble, which I really didn't mention on anyone else, so I don't know why I did there. Um, and the kids are right, again, Annette plays Nick, who is, I would honestly say she's the matriarch of the family, and we'll get into conversation why possibly that's a thing. Um, but she plays one of two of a lesbian couple raising two kids who decide to find their... Um, sperm donor, played by Mark, hunky Mark Ruffalo in this movie, by the way. Um, and uh, she is, she, she's thrown into a loop when it turns out that her wife gets into a relationship, a sexual relationship with him. And she tries to really keep herself together while trying to, you know, spearhead her family. Uh, so what do you think about Annette Benning as Nick and the kids are all right? So I think she's really fun here. Um, I think you could say that she is the breadwinner of this household. I think that's, I don't know, I've, I'm not sure how to divvy up matriarch between these two characters, but she is, you know, she's the one making all the money and mm-hmm. in her mind calling all the shots. Um, but I think she's really fun here. Um, glad that a comedy was able to get in here uh, into this lineup that has a lot of really uncomfortable material uh, otherwise. Um, Annette Benning, I think I see myself in this character sometimes, uh, how she always, you know. <laughs> I was gonna say that. She, she always has a bottle ready, um, even when she probably shouldn't. And 
I really dig it. She's really funny here. Even when she's being, for lack of a better term, the bitch in a scene, she's really funny and gives a very true to life performance. It's not say natural in the same way that some others are, but um, she sort of has this status in the household that I think warrants her, uh, again, lack of a better term, bossy behavior um, that is often attributed to women of influence. Um, but I think she's really delightful here. Uh, I like the different ways she and her wife, played by Julianne Moore, choose to parent uh, their children. She's more of the strict, domineering, no-nonsense, I'm the, I'm the boss kind of mother. And um, I really admire it. Uh, I don't know if this was intentional on Benning's part or director Lisa Cholodenko, but um, Annette Benning is Lisa Cholodenko in this part. Um, they have a very vague appearance similarity. Also, um, I've seen Cholodenko speak before and her, the way she carries herself and the way she speaks is very Annette Benning in this role. So I don't know if it was a conscious decision on someone's part or if it just kind of naturally happened, but um, it's a pretty spot on, um, it's not an impersonation, but Annette Benning really captures the essence of the storyteller in this movie, which we don't often see in movies. Um, but also you wouldn't really know that unless you knew what the director looked and sounded like. Um, but it's just a little, little note that I can make having sort of met her, kind of. We have a picture together. Um, so yeah, she's really cool. Uh, yeah, I really dig Annette Benning here. Um, I think Julianne Moore is also great, but um, Annette Benning, I think is, she's the one that I find myself laughing with the most. Just her whole attitude from beginning to end, uh, the way she um, reacts to a lot of what's going on and confronts situations and uh, goes into different situations with a certain mindset and comes out with a completely different one. Um, it's a really great nomination, I think, for Annette Benning. Yeah, um, I've, I've kind of got a long tangent on this one and I'm really interested to, so I'm so like stretching out here. Um, I'm like weirdly tired. Um, I was so unfair to this performance at 18. And I think like almost famous 10 years earlier when I said as a kid, I identified with Penny Lane. And then as I got older, I identified with um, the Francis McDormand character. At 18, I identified with Julianne Moore. And I really understood that role a lot better. And then when I revisited this, let me, let me back up a second. So I identified with Moore a lot better. So come this Oscar ceremony, I never understood why Moore didn't get in, even though she got the Golden Globe nomination and Benning got in. And then revisiting this, I was so happy Julianne Moore didn't get in because I find her to be the weaker of the two now. And I identify a lot more with the Annette Benning character. And I think it is fantastic what she does here. The, her work is so subtle. Like she doesn't really have 
big showy moments. She has a few moments where she's like arguing with Jules, played by Julianne Moore, but she's not like she she's not like Natalie Portman where she's like, you know, having these big over the top scenes. What really, really struck me as the cream of the crop, just a moment, was after when she's at dinner at Mark Ruffalo's place and after she finds the hair and she sits down and the and the camera focuses like right here on her. And the way Cholodenko shot that was amazing because she's listening to everything around her and she's dying on the inside, trying to really, really figure out. Like she she knows that Jules is cheating on her, but she doesn't want to accept it. And you watch the turmoil and the hatred, but the love and at the same time the the heartbreak going on, and it's all right, like here, right? And so it is fucking brilliant. And I will say, like I mentioned earlier, that I've known who my number one was since the night of the Oscars. And this is not a giveaway with where I'm going with this. Rewatching The Kids All Right changed my entire lineup. Mm-hmm. Like, because I was so unfair to it at 18 that I would have put Annette Benning dead last. And now, because I appreciate it more, I'm like, oh my God. Like, so my whole lineup changed completely with this one. Um, I will say I also love, like we mentioned with Winner's Bone, that I love that there's gotten for Best Picture here because this is not a film that would have gotten into Best Picture had there been five, which is really sad because I think it earned its Best Picture nomination. Um, I will also say, I want to hear your comment on this, being that we're both gay. I can only speak for myself here. I've been with women sexually, and I've obviously been with men sexually, but I can't imagine being in a relationship with a man and cheating on him with a woman. And um, clearly we're not lesbians, we're not women, but I wonder if that's a different different mindset with women. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I look at the, I look at this relationship or this film as like in the lens of a gay man. And I'm like, that seems like a stretch to me. Like, I just, I can't imagine cheating on my man with a woman. Mm-hmm. What do you think? So I think um, this movie very wisely sets that up. Um, after um, the children walk in on them, um, having sex while watching gay male porn. Then they have that conversation downstairs in the kitchen. And um, the son is like, why are you watching dudes or something like that? I think mm-hmm. it's, I want to say it's the Julianne Moore character. She doesn't know what to say. And then she just goes something like, you have to understand that sexual nature is very complicated. And I think that line um, is a bit of a foreshadow for what's to come. And it kind of sets the stage for her to have this affair with someone of the opposite sex when she herself is a lesbian or bisexual or queer, however you wanna label it. Um, So um, personally speaking, I can't see myself doing that, but I think, well, it's also really wise that Julianne Moore was the one who says that line, considering she's the one who goes on to have the affair. So um, I think that was a, a really clever line for them to insert into the script to kind of make that work without you questioning it too much. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. You know, Benning's character really plays as like the gold star lesbian, and yeah. where, you know, where Moore's character of Jules could be the bisexual character. Um, I don't know. I just maybe maybe it's because I've been with women and I've been with men, and I and I know where I'm at on my sexuality that I'm just like I can't. I just can't imagine myself in that scenario. I think I would be the Annette Benning character being like, you know what, like, no. Um, I also find it very odd, again, viewing this as gay man, but I don't think I could be watching like lesbian porn with mm-hmm. my significant other and being like, I'm so turned on. You know what I mean? Like, I just, right. I just find that funny too. Like, I'm like, interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, fuck, maybe you and Seth watch those before. I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I think that that gold star thing that you mentioned is a really key uh, characteristic of this performance because I think Mm -hmm. this character does sort of um, wear that gold star as a badge of honor. And I think it really plays into the superiority complex that she has and her brand of feminism, which I think is different from the Julianne Moore character. Um, I don't recall if they've ever said, if they said that Julianne Moore was with men prior to this marriage or if this was her first. Okay. Perhaps the implication is there that she in this couple is not the gold star lesbian. And um, I think that's very informative for the, the structure of this relationship, the perceived power structure, if you will. Because I think uh, the Annette Benning character really is probably really proud of the fact that she's only ever been with women. Not that it really actually matters. But um, no. to her it does. And I think it's a... It's a it's a way to see into who this character is and how she views the world and sexual relationships. Yeah. Um, anything else before we get to the questions? Um, I don't think so. We've, uh, a couple of these kind of mimic each other, so I'm gonna put them together by Matthew, Anna Zone, and then Kristoff. Um, should both Benning and Moore be nominated for the Kids All Right? And do you think if Moore had gone category fraud and went supporting, would she have gotten in? Um, I know the Globes nominated them in lead. I don't think both of them, looking at this now, should be in. I think we got the correct nominee here. Um, but I don't think Moore had a chance really in either category. Um, I think the if I had to pick one, the correct person was nominated for this film. If she had gone supporting, I guess I can conceive of a world where she actually gets in considering how often it happens um, with Mm -hmm. the Academy. I don't know if Julianne Moore herself would have wanted to be in supporting for this. I also don't know how exactly she was campaigned, but um, I guess I could see that I could see how she could have gotten in, but I think it, it played out correctly. um, Assuming that, in the situation, this scenario where only one can get in, it makes sense to me that it would be Benning. Yeah. And then final question from Chima Alma, or I'm sorry, Chima Almada. Do you think Emma Stone deserved a nomination for Easy A? Um, I'm going to simply put no. I was surprised at her Golden Globe nomination, to be honest. But even 
the Golden Globe now. This Easy A just feels like a Golden Globe film, like one of those things. So I'm going to say no. Um, Emma Stone would go on to do things that I think are more worthy of Oscar recognition. I think she's wonderful yeah. in Easy A. I really enjoy that film, and she gives a really charming performance. But um, I'm okay with her not being nominated at the Oscars for it. I think the Globe is yeah. perfectly good. Um, and any other yeah. awards she might have racked up um, elsewhere, I think are fine. But I'm okay with the fact that she wasn't nominated here at the Academy. Same. Same. Um, shall we uh, get to it? Okay. So um, as a reminder, your supporting actress nominees were Melissa Leo in The Fighter, Amy Adams in The Fighter, Helena Bonham Carter in The King's Speech, Haley Steinfeld in True Grit, and Jackie Weaver in Animal Kingdom. And number five has to be Haley Steinfeld for True Grit. Um, great as she is, um, she doesn't belong here. I agree, same sentiment, nothing else to say. Haley Steinfeld at five. Um, I'm gonna put Amy Adams at four for The Fighter. Um, I really like her here in The Fighter in the way that I almost always like Amy Adams. Um, I love watching her beat the shit out of some trashy women, but um, I guess I, I take away a little bit more from the other nominees. So Amy Adams is my number four for The Fighter. Um, I'm gonna put Melissa Leo at number four. I just like, I don't think this movie is really giving her a whole lot to do. Not only that, I just, like I mentioned earlier, I just feel like her, she's got that kitchen scene and she's got that kitchen scene. You know what I mean? Like, other than that, she's there. Um, I would have loved to see Sharon Stone would have done with this. I think there would have been a lot more meat for her to chew on. Uh, but yeah, Melissa Leo is a safe four. Uh, Melissa Leo is my number three for The Fighter. Um, I think she does have quite a bit to do here, and she manages to never forget, or never lets you forget that she's in this movie. Um, she's as big as can be, and she gives you something to talk about when the movie's over. Um, so yeah, Melissa Leo is my number three for The Fighter. Well, look at us just switching up The Fighter, ladies, because Amy Adams is my number three. Um, can someone please, whether you're in Boston or in general, please explain to me what she's called by this trashy sisters on the porch. A Bosca? Like what, what the fuck is a Bosca? I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think yeah, Adams is good here. Right. Right. It's like crabby snacks and homemades. We'll get to that in 2012 though. Um, yeah. Adams is, Adams is good here. I think she's a solid three though. Um, I like that she stepped out of good girl, Amy Adams and showed us this, um, but let's face it, the final two are way better. Mm -hmm. um, so my runner up is Helena Bonham Carter for the King's Speech. I think she is doing wonderful work here that a lot of people overlook um, and mistakenly say uh, she's riding someone's coattails because she is giving a really wonderful performance in this truly supporting part and um, I think if anyone's going to watch the King's Speech again, really focus on Helena because she's doing some really cool stuff. But um, Jackie Weaver is um, undeniable for me in Animal Kingdom. Even though it doesn't look like she's doing a whole lot throughout the movie, it's uh, when you get to the end, um, she completely changes the way you've watched the movie up to that point and how you've seen this character. And um, she has a 
an influence over this film that I don't think the other nominees in this lineup quite do. So um, Jackie Weaver is my winner for Animal Kingdom. Um, kudos, I was right on you there. Um, news for you, you were also right on me. I'm giving Helena Bottom Carter the runner up, Jackie Weaver the win. Um, Bottom Carter is great gear, love what she's doing, um, but there's no denying that Weaver is easily the best in this lineup. Um, she deserved this Oscar. 10 years later, I'm still pissed she doesn't have this Oscar. Um, she would have been a hell of a lot more memorable winner than Melissa Leo in the long run, I feel. Um, and Weaver is just, I think diabolical is the best way to put it. She's diabolical, she's wonderful. Her performance of this is also a reason why I haven't really watched the show as with Ellen Barkin in this role, because I just don't think you can top this. Um, I think it would be like trying to make a show of Sophie's Choice and trying to do Meryl Streep's role, I don't think you could. Also, a show of Sophie's Choice is just really depressing. Sounds horrible. Um, but yeah, I think this is Weaver. This is Weaver all the way. So let's see yeah. if we, uh, I'm really interested to see what we do, uh, what we do here in lead. This was so hard, so hard. Um, as a reminder, Nicole Kidman in Rabbit Hole, Michelle Williams in Blue Valentine, Natalie Portman in Black Swan, Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Bone, Annette Benning and the Kids All Right were your nominees. <sighs> I'm nervous, I'm nervous. Um, number five, I'm going Natalie Portman. Um, there's just, she's so good here. Uh, but yeah, like I said earlier, the, the, I'm not doing worst to best. I have to put them somewhere. But if I really have to line them up, Portman comes in last here. Um, this was hard. But that's all I can say. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, least great to most great is, you know, yeah. the, how this lineup is going to play out. But um, I think right now I'm putting Annette Benning at number five for the kids are all right. She's fantastic in this movie, but I think of everyone wow. in this lineup, she's the one who wows me the least. Okay. So I'm going to put Annette Benning at number five for the kids are all right. Wow, I was I was not expecting that from you. Okay, uh, Jennifer Lawrence at four. Um, great debut, probably her best nomination in my opinion. It's my favorite of her nominations, I'll at least say that. Um, I gotta put her somewhere. That's gonna be my excuse for everything here. I gotta put them somewhere. So Jennifer Lawrence at four. Well, that's pretty much the reason why Jennifer Lawrence is my number four. Um, this is a great first nomination for her, but um, I guess she wows me the next least. <laughs> the second least. Um, she's great here, but um, the other three that I have are are just barely on another level um, for my four and five. So um, Jennifer Lawrence is my number four for Winter's Bone. <sighs> number three, Nicole Kidman. This was hard, especially getting to the final three. I mean, I like, I, I was shook, as the kids say, on what to do here. Um, this is by far, in my opinion, Kidman's best nomination, um, but it still wasn't enough to carry her past three. I mean, it's just, 
Everyone is so good here. So Nicole Kidman at three. There's not a loser in this lineup, really. No. Um, so anyone could have won this on the night, and I would have been fine with it. But um, this next three that I have are like, they're the closest for me personally for winning. And it's one of those situations where I'm just picking how I'm feeling today. Any given day, a different person could be one, two, three. Um, today, I'm putting Michelle Williams at number three for Blue Valentine. Um, okay. This is some of her best work. It's truly torturous to watch. And a lot of that has to do with how much she is doing as a performer and what she's putting out there for the viewer, for the camera, but um, really just splitting the finest of hairs with this lineup. Michelle Williams is my number three for Blue Valentine. Heard that. Um, so after getting through this lineup, um, I mentioned that it changed after seeing the kids are all right. And that is because Annette Benning went from five to two. Um, since Oscar night, I've, it always should have been Michelle Williams, in my opinion. Um, so Michelle Williams is my number one. Um, Annette Benning, I think this is her finest work to date out of her whole career. Um, it's my favorite thing she's ever done. It's also the highest I've ever put Nicole Benning, or Annette, Nicole Benning, Annette Benning, um, because I think, what, with the grifter, she might have been four for me in that lineup. And then... No, she was number two for American Beauty. That's right. I put yeah. her in second. Um, she was two for oh, no, yes. Yeah. yeah, and then being Julia, I think she was five. Um, yeah, Annette Benning is a great, great runner up here. Um, I, I love this role a lot more as an adult looking in to it um, with more experience under my belt. Uh, Michelle Williams, though, like Jackie Weaver, first of all, you were correct on getting me right. Um, but Michelle Williams is fantastic. Um, she breaks my heart. Every time I see this, I don't think there has been finer acting from an actress this entire decade. Hmm. I'm going to say it in this category, in this category, than Michelle Williams. Um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And she should have won this Oscar by miles. Yeah. So, what about you? Um, going back and forth here. Um... I'm going to put Nicole Kidman at runner-up for Rabbit Hole. I'm going to go ahead and reward Natalie Portman for Black Swan. Nicole Kidman is a force of nature in Rabbit Hole, and um, she demands a lot of the audience um, simply by how much she is demanding of herself in this performance. And it is, it's a hard movie to get through, and not one that I was necessarily looking forward to revisiting because of how much I knew she would put out there and what it would do to me personally. But um, Natalie Portman uh, inches across the finish line here. Um, she is simply the one who I think, all things considered, wows me the most when it comes to everything she is doing. Um, Mentally, physically, psychologically, everything. Um, there's so much going on in this performance, and she is top-notch in it. And um, I wonder if how the Academy allegedly has an anti-horror bias, if I have a pro-horror bias. I wonder if that's factoring in at all. But um, right now, Natalie Portman is my winner for Black Swan. 
I cannot stress how hard this category was to rank. Mm -hmm. Like, like I said, I've always known my winner, but getting that five to two has, it honestly gave me anxiety, like trying to put this together. Yeah. It was beautiful. Fucking beautiful. It's one of, it's one of the best um, lead actress lineups in recent memory, at least. Yeah. We had some people comment that on, um, on our, uh, on our stuff in 1950 and 1962 with the baby Jane year came up as the other two that people seem to be yeah. consensus on. Um, yeah. This is a great way to start the decade though. Yeah. Good, good, good season premiere. Yay. Um, well, this has been fun. It's good to see you. Yeah, you and, too. Uh, you know, granted, you and I talk and still do this every once in a while. It's nice to record this still face to face. So, uh, I guess we're we say goodbye normally, right? I, guess we're, I don't, I I don't even know done. where to go with this. I think it's I think over. We're done. I think we're done. All right. Uh, well, until next week, uh, the class of 2011. Hope you guys really like this. I'm Joey Gentili. And I'm Brandon Stanwick. And on a count of three, this many, we will say goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Goodbye. Bye.